0: This is Pulse ninety five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats, Life Beats with
1: Sally Musa, only on Pulse ninety five. Welcome to the second hour of Life Beats, and we're about to get into the page turner with Liam Kelly, teacher at Al Diafa International School of Adobe and the creator of the Worried William Project. As an author, he uses storytelling to help kids talk about mental health and helps them overcome what scares them while also overcoming his own fears we're going to be talking some brilliant children's books and writers with him including lauren child's clarice bean megan mcdonald's judy moody and michael bond's one and only paddington bear all of that and more is coming up right here on life beats on pulse 95
0: this is pulse 95 you're listening to the life beats podcast
1: Life Beats. Life Beats. With Sally Musa. Only on Pulse 95. 95 it is life beats here on pulse 95 and i'm so pleased to be welcoming into the studio today liam kelly the creator of the worried william project aimed at raising the awareness of children's mental health and well-being it's a topic that is very close to his heart because he was that child who suffered in silence and uh, to tell us more welcome to the life beat studio liam kelly good morning hello allah now liam you are a very busy man uh, who is very much on a mission with your worried william project for those who have never heard of it before uh talk to us a bit about how this all came about for you what is it
0: well about three years ago i penned the first book worried william and it was kind of a story which started off in my primary school. Because mm. when I was at primary school, I was very, very, very worried. And I hid every worry. You wouldn't have realised I was a worried child at school because I was able to hide it so well. It, it kind of became a second job for me. Mm. Going to school was a, was my first job. My second job was hiding my worries. And every night I went home, I used to think about the next day, how could I hide my worries? And every day at school, it, it become... I become better at hiding it.
1: How would you hide it? Like, you know, when you say I would hide it, uh, what kind of worries would you have? And how would you hide that from others around you?
0: I can start with my the first worry that I can remember. I was in P1, which is the year one, and the teacher asked me to come to the front of the room to say a particular word. Mm. And as I was walking from the back of the room to the front of the room, from that moment, it was only 10 seconds, I really got anxious and worried to the point where I was sweating. And when I was at primary school, all you had to do was smile, so everyone thought you were okay. So I, I just smiled as I went up, but underneath that smile, there was no smile. So I got to the front of the room, and my teacher said, can you say this word? And all the worries suddenly appeared inside of me. And the word was look, but it come out like l- l- look and I can still see everyone laughing at me and I can still see the reaction on people's faces. And that was the first time that I can really remember a worry. And that stayed with me for a long time. And when I walked home that particular day, I was so worried about what people thought of me. And so when you go home, your mom will always ask you three questions. Well, in my household anyway. The first question was, how was school? Always, I, would, yeah. I would say, yeah, was okay. Then the second question was, have you any homework? And I would say, yeah, sure, I've got homework. And the third question would be, you know, who did you play with? Now, before I got home, I had all those questions prepared in my mind because I know that I had to keep my mum happy. So when I was walking through the door, I knew exactly what I was going to say to her. I wanted to tell my mom everything. I wanted to say to my mum, I had such a bad experience at school today, and, and, and I'm just, I'm really upset. But I didn't want to tell her because I didn't want her to think, what's what's wrong with my son? Mm. And so this went on for a long, long time. And every day you would go home, the same three questions, and I had the same three answers. Yeah, it was okay. Everyone, play with everyone. Any homework? Yes. So I went to my room. So as I was going to my room, the, the thoughts about people looking at me, especially when I didn't say the word look correctly, And that was some of the earliest memories of my worries. They stayed with me right into my 30s because I was always trying to please other people. Now, I just didn't open up because I didn't know how to. And that's that's the bottom line. I just didn't know how to.
1: And quite frankly, you know, at that time, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, there was... There was never any talk about anything like anxiety, no. depression, uh, you know, th- th- just you were supposed to just get everything right at school. And if you didn't, you were dumb. Yes. The end. The, you know, there was no no in between. There was no asking about, you know, uh, what are you feeling today? No. H- how are you feeling? What's going on for you? Those conversations were not being had, were they?
0: No. Mm-hmm. The, if you just said you were fine and smiled, that's the teacher enough. was happy.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: And then... Underneath, you were always like, but I'm not fine. And then you suddenly start to think, am I different than everybody else?
1: And did you kind of feel like I wish somebody would ask me about how I really feel?
0: So sometimes I would say things for people to say to me, are you okay? Like? So I would do things like, you know, just the the look. So I would look like... You know, there was something on my mind, Mm. but I couldn't say I'm a little bit sad Mm -hmm. because I didn't want people to say, what's wrong with you? Now, this is I'm six years old at this stage, so I'm starting to develop these worries and I'm starting to struggle at such a young age. And then when I got to my next school years, obviously, I had remembered all of these um, situations. Mm. So I was always building up a wall around me to to, so that people wouldn't laugh at me. And that was for the first few years of my primary school, I just tried to please everyone. What everyone wanted to do, I, I would let them I would make them happy.
1: So where did things change for you then, Liam?
0: I I personally feel it changed when I got into my late thirties when I finally decided that no one seemed to understand me. Mm. And the only way that I could get people to understand me was to write it down. Now Throughout my childhood, especially my teenage years, I used to write a lot. You know, when we were younger, you, you used to write a diary. Right,
1: right. And you put
0: it under your bed because you didn't want anyone to read it because it was your really personal thoughts. Yes. And so from a young age, I was starting to write a lot about how I was feeling. And I still have those books and diaries today, and no one has read them. And so what I'm doing is I'm dipping into those books now. And I'm also looking at my books from school all the mistakes that I made. Now that's a big thing. When I was at school, because of all these worries, when you've got a worry, you can't concentrate 100% because part of your mind's thinking about the worry and part of it's thinking about your teacher and part of it's thinking about your friends. So you're, you're kind of spinning all these plates. For every piece of work that I completed, there was always mistakes. There's always mistakes. Of
1: course there's always mistakes. So. That's how we learn. <laughs> yeah.
0: So then whenever you go to your teacher and say, how is it, miss? She would look at you. And suddenly then you, be- you, bec- you become very good at reading people's facial reactions. Mm. So straight away that visual look, I would know straight away if I was doing something wrong. Mm. And I- I'm not sure about you know, parents today and teachers, but when I was younger, you were always given the negative first. Yep. Where's that capital letter? Where's yeah. that full stop? And straight away, you went back to your seat a little bit downbeat. Now, I was a child that was struggling with my, you know, with, with everything at school. So those little comments really, really affected me. Mm. But if, if you turn it around today, because I'm a teacher myself, and no matter what a child gives to me, produced to me, I always give a positive first. Always. No matter how bad I might think it is, that child will look at that positive and smile. And you know it's a genuine smile. Yes. They know that you've looked at their work and appreciated it. Yes. But if you say to a child, where's the full stop? You, I can see me. If I, if I was to say to a child, where's your full stop capital letter? I can see me 30 odd years ago. 100%.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's it's changed so much and I love that, uh, you know, you've taken that experience, you've gone into teaching yourself, Yes. you've become a writer, you are published right here in Sharjah, in fact, yes. uh, um, which is amazing. Uh, we're going to come back in just a moment. Um, we are going to get into your books. Uh, that have inspired you uh, over the years that have made an impact on you. But I want to talk a bit more uh, about your Worried William book series, the series of events, yes. uh, your poetry. There is so much to talk about with you, Liam. And uh, we're going to come back and do just that right here on Life Beats on Pulse 95.
0: This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast, it's The Page Turner. The Page
1: Turner. On Life Beats with Sally Musa and special guests, celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital.
0: All ninety-five.
1: Yes, of course. Every week we do have the page channel where we celebrate books, we celebrate writers and authors, and the ideas they have brought to us and that have transformed our lives. And I'm so happy that today's guest is the one and only Liam Kelly of the Worried William Project. Um, you've just brought some incredible ideas into all of this uh, you're writing children's books now you are teaching yourself uh, but you know you're taking away that stigma that you know very difficult um, first step yes Of getting kids to be able to talk about their feelings, talk about their fears, uh, talk about, you know, things like anxiety and mental health. Um, So talk to us about how you're doing that with your books, with the different events. Uh, Let's start with the books.
0: So the first book started in October Mm. 2016, 2016, and I was in my room, it was a very wet um, half-term break, and so I was in my room and I was just thinking to myself, why haven't people understood me? And so I started to write on the computer. And I think I got till about a th- couple of thousand words. And then I realized, okay, let's go back to my primary school. So let's rewrite those first thousand words. Within three days, the first book was written. So it took three days. I mean, I was writing solid for three days. Now, when people say to me, how can you write a book in three days. When is something so personal to you, and when you can use your personal experiences, it becomes more fluent. And for me, that's why I was able to do it in such a short time frame. Once I finished writing it, I went back to my old school books from that age. So, worried William is nine at this stage. And I can still remember being nine at school. And I looked through all my books and all the mistakes that I used to make, and I put them into the book because this book is written through the eyes of a worried nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. If I write this book perfectly, then it's not really me when I was nine. This book has to be about me. When people read this book, they're going to say, oh yes, you know, that is him. Yeah. Because when they listen to interviews like this, they're, they're going to see the books and listening to me if they're going together. I can't write any other way, but from, from the heart. So there's 21 books in the series. And I picked seven years because the seven years, I, I kind of had ups and downs over a period of seven years mm-hmm. at school. Mm-hmm. And I, I can remember each school year. So for me, I'm going to write three books for each school year. And at the end of the book series, it's called Wonderful William. Because people need to know that there is a time at the end when they can manage it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they can get through it.
0: They can get through it. Now, the worries will never disappear. My worries will never disappear. But I'm now in control of them. When I was younger, they were so in control of me. Mm. They, they were controlling my thoughts. And at sometimes they were saying to me, oh, you can't do this. And that's the way it felt for me. And that's going to come across in the books.
1: How were you able to flip it, Liam? so that you had control over over them, rather than them controlling you?
0: Well, whenever I was younger, I would react differently. Yeah. And I would close myself away. And straight away, if someone looked at me or said something to me, I kind of crawled back a little bit. And I would look at them, and then that would just shut me off from everything. Mm. So I'd go to the toilet, or in actual fact, I would take days off school to wow. avoid the next day, to avoid the laughter. My mom is an amazing woman, and, but I knew how to play it. I knew if I had a sore stomach, she would believe me. And I know that sounds really bad, but to avoid going to school, I would have to really put that across, or mom, I've got a sore stomach.
1: And to be honest, when you're somebody who, who has such strong anxiety, you actually, you do physiologically react to yeah. everything. So you're actually there, you are in that physical state.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you're at home on your own, you would really go in depth and think, overthink it. Yeah. And, so, and that would make it worse. Mm. And because my mom didn't have the tools at the time to help me, mm. and it's, it's not her fault, by the way. I want to put that across to people. It, it wasn't my mom or my dad's fault.
1: Parents can only do the best that they know yeah. how, and if they don't know how,
0: yeah, it's so, very difficult. So what I want this book series in particular to do is to give parents a resource to open up the conversation, so when they read the first book, they can say to the child, "Would you have felt this way at school, or how would you feel if this was your friend?" Mm. It's just opening up those questions. They don't—they don't have to be to be massive questions. It's just getting the initial questions in. Yeah, children need to know if they're scared that it's okay to be scared,
1: and not just that they need to see somebody else going through it too. Yeah, for them to kind of go, "Oh wait, oh oh," you know. Uh, Mr. Liam went through this himself. Yes. You know, my teacher, and and the funny thing is, you know, when you're eight, when you're nine, when you're 10, you think your teachers are invincible, like they're all-knowing yeah. and they're so powerful and they can do anything. But when you when you see somebody that you look up to like a teacher yeah. who is so confident and gets up in front of a class and, you know, conducts lessons and does everything, when you see them talking about something that is so personal to them that they struggled with... Yeah. Kind of makes you go, oh wait, wow.
0: Yeah, and well, what I find is is that in the class during the day, I'm able to spot some of the children yeah. who I who I I feel may be suffering in silence. How, Not, do,
1: how do you spot them?
0: It's the look, it's their interaction with others. So when I look back in my past, I can see it in some of the children. So it might be a case of the child going back to their table and just the look, it's a downward look, it's the eyes. Mm. It's sometimes children can become a bit irritable with others. Now, when I'm in that situation, I don't go to the child and say, what's up? What's the matter with you? Because obviously they're going to say nothing, because I've been there. So what I generally do is I monitor the situation for a little period of time, and I sit beside the child and I just talk in general. And I might even say, oh, I'm so tired today. You need to build trust. If a child doesn't have trust, they won't open up to you. Yeah. And when I was younger, that's the thing that I didn't have. And I think that was society when I was younger. It was a, it was a case of the person down the road who might have been suffering from certain challenges. They were talked about. And as a child, I didn't want to be talked about. And I wanted to protect my mom and my dad from that. And it was a very difficult time. Mm. But what I'm trying to get the book series to do is to give parents a resource to say, this little boy worried, these are the signs, this is how he reacted to different situations. Is my child reacting in this way?
1: I love this so much because, you know, as parents, we need all the help we can get uh, in this area. Because sometimes you might have a child who's going through something you may not have gone through it yourself and it's hard to be empathetic you want to be empathetic Uh, books like this this is why books are so important because they take us to places where we may never have been situations we have never seen can't understand but you know it opens up that conversation and that understanding i love that so so much uh the first book you're gonna have uh, 21 books i think yes together and i love you said to me uh that also like the illustrations you're gonna do with the illustrations you're gonna go from black and white and then it, it starts going into yes colour. so
0: the first book's totally in black and white yeah and that for me was a period of time when things were black and white. Mm. And as the book series goes along, there's a little bit of colour being added. And the mistakes will become less and less. So the last book is in full colour with no mistakes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i going to put an idea out there, make it full of mistakes, but full of colour as well, because mistakes are awesome. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs>
1: We, we need to change we need to change you know the idea that mistakes are bad and not to be afraid of. Absolutely. Them as well, I say like.
0: to my children every day, I love it when they put up their hand and they, get their, they give me the wrong answer.
1: Yes, because yes. they're confident. Because they're putting themselves out there.
0: Exactly. And that can
1: be the hardest thing. Uh, very quickly, before we go to the break, let's talk about uh, the the events that you're doing yes. in conjunction with this. We're hoping, we're not going to talk about it just yet, <laughs> but we're hoping to do stuff in Sharjah as well. You have to stay tuned for that. Uh, but so far, what's happened in your series of events?
0: So the series of events started because there was a little girl in my class last November who stood on the stage and spoke in two languages. She spoke in Arabic, she spoke in English. And I looked at her and I thought, wow, I could not have been on that stage when I was your age. Mm. And then in my mind, I thought, right, I'm gonna do a series of events, things that I was scared of at school, things that I couldn't do because of my worries. So the first event was singing on stage with a group of four and five-year-olds.
1: Fantastic.
0: The reason why I picked that age group because that's the age group I wanted to be on stage. I wanted my mom in the front row saying, that's my boy, I'm so proud of my boy. And I felt at sometimes a failure because I didn't give my mom that experience. Yeah. And so I went down and to the little, the little children and foundation and I said to them, hey guys, I need some help here. I've always wanted to sing on stage. Will you help me? And some, one little boy jumped up and he said, yeah, you can sing and we'll do the actions. I said, let's do it. So for a full month we rehearsed. Now I had to rehearse it because I didn't want to make any mistakes, obviously, because I didn't want people to say, this guy is you know he's making mistakes and on the night it was the 23rd of January and when the song finished I was so overcome with emotion that I didn't show it but it was the first time in my life when I stood up and sang on stage and the only person missing was my mum on the front row that's the only person that was missing
1: wow
0: and it was just one of those things I always wanted to do and It was the most amazing feeling.
1: Unbelievable. And um, you've continued to do other events where you are breaking things down, uh, breaking down your fears, in fact, and um, doing things that scare you as well and uh, asking others as well to join you in that. We're going to come back in uh, just a moment and talk a little bit more about that and talk about the books that uh, you've been so inspired by, uh, that you have so loved. Lots more to come right here on Life Beats on Pulse ninety five.
0: This is Pulse ninety five. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast.
1: It's the Page Turner. The Page Turner on Life Beats with Sigh. Sally Musa and special guests celebrating Sharjah, the twenty nineteen World Book Capital. Oh. So many uh, incredible topics, really wonderful things uh, to talk about here with Liam Kelly, uh, the creator of the Worried William Project and series of books as well, which are published right here in Sharjah. Uh, We're going to be seeing you at the uh, Sharjah International Book Fair. It's going to be uh, very exciting. Uh, But hopefully before then... Uh, at other uh, Sharjah events that ho- we're hoping to organise too, uh, but uh, you were talking about the the uh, the series of events that you've organised, yes. uh, which include doing things that scare you. The first of which was singing on stage. Uh, we're hoping that uh, there'll be a bit of poetry involved
0: Absolutely. in Arabic. Yes,
1: this is something that we're going to be organising, and um, you know maybe we can do it together as well.
0: That would be amazing
1: at the Sharjah International Book Fair.
0: Yes, and the reason why I want to do this is because I love this country and I was listening to the segment before about the lady talking on the day ready. Yes, with Aisha. And I really want to get involved in it because I want to give this country something back. They've given me so much and Austin McCauley, the publishers, have given me so much as well. They've given me this opportunity to, to explore this book series and the project. So the the poem book itself is written by children and myself. Mm. Now, there are poems in this from when I was nine. There's one from my mother. And there are poems written by children all over the world. And we have a few children here in the UAE who who have written a few of the poems. And my my dream is really to stand up and speak in Arabic at a, a book fair.
1: I think we can help you with that. I think we can help you with that. I think we may be able to do something. might even be on air, Liam. Would you be up for that? Absolutely. On Life Beats. Yes. Live from the Sharjah International Book Fair.
0: I would love that. We are
1: literally planning this live as we speak (laughs) (laughs) right here on the air. Uh, But I think we can do it. Can I just... I'm going to read out something. I'm going to read out a poem that you uh, actually penned down. And you're going to tell me why you wrote this. It's called Precious Moments. She's sitting like a little princess. She has her dad's full attention and her smile is so real. She looks at him with a glow that only a true smile can bring. He goes to collect his coffee and her eyes follow his way. He sits back down and she knows that his smile will be hers. She's writing in her book and he follows her every curve. His phone is somewhere away. She has his full attention, a dad, a father, to me, an inspiration. Thank you for this moment. I know there is hope. Liam, so beautiful. It
0: sounds quite emotional whenever you read it, doesn't it?
1: It really does. Like uh, just such a gorgeous little, um, you know, insight into a father. And a, and a daughter, yeah. relationship. Where, where did this little poem come from? It was about
0: three weeks ago. I was sitting in a coffee shop and this little girl had walked in with her father. And straight away, she sat down and he made sure she was sitting and, and all of this. And I noticed their interaction with each other. I, the first thing that I noticed was he had no phone. He had nothing. He only had her. And that's a bit uncommon, I think, today.
1: Yes, it totally is.
0: And she spoke to him. Obviously, I think she was talking about what she wanted—a uh, cake or something—and he went up to order his coffee and the cake for the little girl. And she watched him the entire time. Like, you could tell there's such a close bond between those those two individuals.
1: How old was she? How old she? I think she mind? was
0: maybe four or five, oh, and just wearing a little tiara.
1: That is just the cutest thing, and the sweetest thing.
0: It was so natural. There was nothing staged or anything. It was so natural. And I just c- continued to watch for, from afar. And her laugh was his laugh and his laugh was her laugh. Uh, and it was a, such a special moment for me. And at that point, I realized that there is hope out there. Yeah. And that is the way to get children. It's building up that trust, that that sort of relationship that little girl I'm hoping in the future will be able to tell her father everything, her worries, her, her her dreams, everything.
1: The real conversations don't happen when we ask our kids, what's wrong with you?
0: No.
1: They happen every single day when we're with them, when we're paying attention, when we put our phone down. Yes. 100%. I'm getting emotional as a parent because <laughs> this is a thing that I struggle with as well. And I keep getting told, put your phone down. It's true. If I could throw it away, I totally would. Uh, but we are, of course, uh, talking about the books that have inspired you as yes. well over time. Uh, let's start with um, with your favorite Paddington bear.
0: Love Paddington bear.
1: All right. Talk to me about Paddington. He is, of course, the iconic bear. Um, why do you love Paddington so much?
0: I love the whole story around it. And my mom had a series of books in a little sort of box. They were little tiny books many years ago and my teacher and this teacher still has a big impact on my life Master McKee a tremendous guy we all loved him and he read the first few pages of this book Paddington Bear and it was the way he said it, it was the way he he was telling us a story and it just grabbed me and from that moment the way he read the story it made me love the book and I loved the fact about the way the teacher told me about because Paddington lives at 32 Windsor Gardens, and he told us all about why this came about. It just wasn't made up. So the 32 Windsor Gardens comes from Michael Bond's own personal address and his, and his parents. So yes. he mixed the two of them together. Right, And I love the fact that he was able to put his own life into his book. Yeah. I love yeah. the story of why Paddington was named Paddington. And from that, I wanted to do something like that in my books, use my personal experience. For me, this guy was the biggest inspiration for me in story writing.
1: Wow. Michael Bond. Yes. Incredible. I love that he thought of this. This all came about when uh, you know, he saw this lonely bear on a shelf, he says, yeah. uh, and he bought it for his wife. Yes. He bought it as a present for his wife. But then was so inspired by it, he wrote this book yes. series back in the fifties. Yep. You know, nineteen fifty-four, I think, uh, fifty-eight. Fifty-eight, yeah. In fact, um, and ever since, he's just become the iconic little British bear. Absolutely. That everybody knows around the world. You know, in his hat, in his coat. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and now we've got the movies as well yes. as the book. But just you know, he's a beautiful character. And it is. It's a story about all about change, uh, all about adapting, all about finding out who you are because you always made mistakes. Yes. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful children's storybook, isn't it?
0: I was actually reading it with children not so long ago. And they looked at the book initially and they're like, hmm, this is an old book. Yes. Uh, (laughs) But I was like, okay, let's read the first few pages. And. I tried to read those first two pages the way my teacher read it to me, and straight away the children are like, where can I buy this book? And I was like, this book was written in 1958.
1: Do you have it in front of you? Can you do a little bit of reading for us? I
0: don't have it in front of me at this moment. Okay. And it was all about the address, and it was all about where he had come from. So we, we kind of did like a little project on... Paddington Bear and the the actual bear it's named after the Speckled Bear and are they endangered now and it it opens up those conversations. Children love it children have to enjoy reading
1: exactly exactly it opens up this whole idea about the the bears themselves um uh, about culture about you know being different about you know arriving somewhere new and what do you do it's like it is an amazing and that's why it's become a classic absolutely for the ages now as well we're going to come back in just a moment uh we're going to be talking judy moody and we're going to be talking clarice bean next with liam kelly right here on the page turner
0: this is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. It's the Page Turner. The Page
1: Turner on Life Beats with oh, Sally Musa and special guests. Celebrating Sharjah, the 2019 World Book Capital. Pulse 95. Liam Kelly is here, the creator of the Worried William project, and we're talking his favorite books. Um, Judy. Judy Moody is our next one. Judy Moody was in a mood. Not a good mood, a bad mood, a mad-faced mood. This is the kind of book that you love to read out loud. Liam, tell us more about this one.
0: This book, the first time I seen it, I was hooked on it straight away. Yeah. I think it was maybe the, the front cover. I know we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but this book really caught my eye. And I fact, it was the word Moody, and it was the illustration on it. And I started reading it, and I was like, wow, this is truly amazing. It, it kind of gives everyone something to read and, yes. and think about. And I spent a full term with the school children doing a project on this. And if you look through every page, we, we kind of did a page on your, your bedroom and what's in your bedroom and a collage of your bedroom. The children were loving it. When you're reading a book to a child, you have to re- you have to know what's in the book first. So when you're you are have to have read it before, yes, yeah. absolutely. So then you know what sort of questions to ask. So when you're reading the book with the children, you can interact with them more. Yeah. So you can open up those conversations about, are you in the mood today?
1: Yes. <laughs> um,
0: did you know anyone in the mood today? And then you can say, why were they in the mood? So again, it's opening up those conversations. Right. And those conversations are difficult initially, mm. because if if you ask a child, how did you feel today, you have to know. What your response is straight away because if they say to you oh, I was moody today what's your next question <laughs> is it why are you moody uh, because I just was so you have to know how to ask questions to avoid because I was mm. and it, it's all about letting the children open up in a very constructive way but again it's trust
1: absolutely so what would you ask then you know if somebody says uh, oh I was moody
0: Well, the first thing that I would say was, I would talk about their day initially. Yeah. Um, Because I wouldn't go for those big questions straight away. If I was to ask a a child about their school day, I would talk about, a little bit about, you know, the general things in school. And then I would talk about myself for a little bit. Because if you directly ask children questions, they're going to shut down straight away. They feel
1: bombarded. Yeah. Mm. So they're
0: going to say, oh, my goodness, is my mom asking me all these questions yeah, again? It's
1: like an interrogation. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> if you start talking about yourself a little bit, then the children will open up more. Mm. So if you say, I had a bad day at school or a bad day at work, the child will think, okay, my mom's starting to understand that a little bit more here. And then you can. the child will hopefully open up. This isn't overnight. These conversations don't happen overnight. It's a period of time. Because for someone who does worry, when you know the time's right, it's right.
1: Yeah. But again, you know, this is where characters like Judy Moody come in. Brilliant. And just make it so much fun, you know, to to talk about these things and and to find solutions and to find ways of of dealing with the mood, (laughs) you know, as it were.
0: And what's interesting about this book, and well, in fact, it's amazing about this book, is the illustrations. Yes. Yes. Now for me, I was never very good at drawing still life at school, Mm. like I I just couldn't. These illustrations are easier to draw and when you can draw the illustrations, it it makes you feel so much better and then you can put some words to the, the illustrations and for someone, for a child who wants to think about writing books and they can do the illustrations, it makes him feel so amazing.
1: Exactly. Uh, the, the the illustrations for this particular book are by Peter H. Reynolds, uh, who does an amazing job with his. It's very doodly, it's very fun, it is very free kind of um, illustrations that he's put together. Do you think that, you know, from your perspective, you know, uh, the books that you've kind of brought in today, Lauren Child as well, uh, Clarice Bean, uh, amongst the many that she's written that have become super popular. What makes for a great children's book, Liam?
0: It's a relationship with the child. Mm. Because we have to understand that when you go into a class full of children, not every child's going to read the same book. You've got boys, you've got girls who will read different sort of genres. And I think these two books will go for boys and girls yes. across the spectrum. Clarice Bean is amazing. The illustrations are very catchy. And what I love about her style of writing is, is that when you open the book, there's different size texts. And at some stage, the writing's kind of curved over the pages and it's relatable. Yes. And it kind of makes it old books from the past were very small in font and, and size, and it's not very appealing. So if you're to write a book, you have to appeal to your audience.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: And these books use words. They use vocabulary that we should be using with our own children. Mm. And when I see the children go to the library, they look at all these books. I'm very inquisitive. And I will say to them, oh, you picked up this book today. And they will say, yeah, I love this about it. And just the other day, a child had picked up Judy Moody. And I was like, why do you like this book? And she goes, because it's kind of like me. So she ends up related to it.
1: The great thing is, it is the greatest thing when you find a character who is like you yes. in a book, you know, who can be naughty Like you in a book, who can be, you know, silly or resourceful or whatever it is, or just, you know, uh, crazy like you in a book, because, you know, then it opens up that a whole new world where you feel yourself, you see yourself represented in books as well.
0: Now, when you go around the classroom and you you look at the children, what they're reading, you have to start thinking about why did they choose this book, and then you start opening up those conversations. Mm. And some of the especially the, the children in my class love the comic books at the minute
1: yes are you one of those teachers and I imagine the answer is no but I, I hear that uh, um, you know there are those teachers who complain when the kids only read um, comic books no uh, what are your thoughts on that
0: if they want to read comic books they can't yes it's reading
1: it's reading right this is the thing. There are those teachers who complain about, um, you know, ki- kids saying they should be reading, you know, um, chapter books and whatever. They're reading comics.
0: At some stage, they sh- they, they need to, re- to read a, a full range of genres. They need to be reading portrait. They need to be reading comic books. They need to be reading all the different um, book series that are out there. But I've got a little girl in my class, and she is truly amazing at illustrations. Mm-hmm. And she is actually creating a comic book.
1: Really, yeah, that is incredible. That is amazing. Now,
0: if I was to say to that little girl, "You're not allowed to do that, I would crush your dreams completely. And I don't know in the future. I said to her, "You have got a future here. And straight away her eyes had lit had they lit up because she she had realized that I had noticed what she was doing.
1: I'd once um, interviewed um, Sana Amanat, who wrote um, the, the Miss Marvel, the new Miss Marvel, right? Uh, and, um, and, and I spoke to her about this. You know, going through comic books, the Marvel comics and, and um, whatever else, DC Comics they're actually incredibly um, in-depth. You know, there's a lot going on on that page between exquisite illustrations, between really uh, witty lines, you know, great writing. It is actually really hard to write great dialogue that is going to keep you engaged over so many different series.
0: Because when I was driving up here, I was listening to your earlier segment about the, the creative thinking. Yes. Now, when you're producing a comic book, the creativity... In the making of that book is so amazing
1: amazing yes it is exactly
0: because you have a lot more characters and then you have to think about how the characters interact with each other
1: for sure look liam we have run out of time i could really just talk to you for hours and we've got a lot more to talk about this will not be the last time that you're going to be on the show uh but just incredible having you on thank you so thank you. much and we're excited to see your books yep. we're, we're, like how do people get hold of the
0: books at the minute they're, they're online here they're online And I think they're currently selling out quite rapidly.
1: Nice. Well, get on there, get online, and uh, get to your books as well. Uh, But we're going to come back and and see how you develop that, how you develop the poetry, and hopefully we can make uh, the Arabic challenge happen as well. That would be amazing. But that's it for us here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. We're going to be back with you again tomorrow from 10 a.m. We're going to be finding out all about the new Sharjah Performing Arts Academy. It's going to be incredible. That's tomorrow from 10 a.m. See you then.
0: This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.